trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. It's Tuesday, and that means it's our, our weekly conversation with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm scrolling through my Rolodex, remember those, looking oh, yeah. for a good lawyer to, <laughs> to represent me in my proposed defamation suit against all the people who have uh, insulted me and hurt my feelings over the years. <laughs> Holy cow. That, uh, yeah, let's. this is a good place to start. Uh, an $83 million judgment against Trump. Under I, you know, look, I'm not trying to stand up for the orange guy here so much as just say the flimsiest legal pretexts. But wow, what a payday! Well, yeah, we're standing up for ourselves here. You know, as I understand it, and you know, somebody may correct me if I'm wrong. The substance of it is that a woman made an allegation that Trump did something uh, 30 years ago. Uh, so it's she said he said something differently, and then he called her a whack job. And as I understand it, that's the the fulcrum of the contention here, you know, that, that calling her this woman, who as far as I know isn't famous, isn't any kind of a public personality, but regardless, so calling her a whack job somehow uh, entitles her to nearly $90 million in, in compensation. Where do I sign up for that gig? You know, it's. I was telling you this as we were getting ready to go on the air. It's very reminiscent of what I've seen play out here in my home state of Idaho, where uh, a large health care provider, St. Luke's Healthcare, went after Ammon Bundy after Ammon thwarted a uh, state-assisted childhood uh, or child kidnapping. Yeah. Um, you know, with with the help of of St. Luke's, and they went after him for defamation. And what would have been a fifty thousand dollar civil case ballooned into a $52 million judgment against Ammon and a friend of his. Yeah, and that, as awful as that is, this I see is potentially even worse in terms of the precedent that it sets, because as I see it, anybody could accuse somebody else of somehow uh, causing them uh, anxiety or stress if they, for example, were to deny climate change. You know, you're, oh, yeah. you're defaming, <laughs> the, you're defaming the, uh, the experts who are attempting to prevent a catastrophe from occurring. And, uh, you know, most of us don't have the means that Donald Trump has. So the threat of, of a lawsuit of that nature would be enough for most people to probably fold as, as, as bitter a pill as that would be to swallow. Because if you're faced with the prospect of potentially becoming homeless and not just you, but your family and your kids, because you can't afford these legal bills, it's really something that ought to unsettle people. And I do think it's unsettling people. I think people are looking at this and understanding that it's not about the orange man. It is about us. Oh, absolutely. Actually, here here in Idaho, we have a legislator who has proposed what it's called SLAP. And I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's it's talking about uh, frivolous lawsuits that are filed for the sake of conducting lawfare. Basically tie you up yeah. in court, bury you in lawyer costs. And, and the process itself is the punishment. And and this legislation would, would drastically limit the circumstances under which those kinds of lawsuits can be filed. Yeah, I think, or I remember at any rate, that at one time it may no longer be the case in England and some European countries, they had something called loser's pay pays rules, meaning that if somebody were to accuse you of something and, and, and file a lawsuit and force you to hire a lawyer to defend yourself and incur costs, and that the lawsuit were then found to be frivolous and, and you know you were able to defeat it, 
that the uh, the person who brought it would then be responsible for paying your bills as well. And it was done as a deterrent for just that reason. Well, I have to say, in in spite of the, um, you know, the economic pain, um, Trump doesn't seem to be slowing down. It, it seems like he has uh, solidified momentum. And I, I maybe it's too early to use the term juggernaut, but uh, I have a hard time seeing how the left is going to stop him. Well, if anything, uh, per Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's making him stronger. Remember what he said to Darth Vader? But it's also ramping up the stakes because I think as the lawfare gets increasingly ever more hysterical, and we're at that point now, it's just out of, out of control. It's comical. Uh, you know, it's indicative of the extent to which these people uh, who are going after not just Trump, they're not just going after Trump, they're going after anybody who criticizes the left or, the, or anybody whom the left regards as a threat to its authority, to its magnificence and its power. Uh, I foresee them trying to do something even more desperate and deranged than what they've already done. And so I think we should brace ourselves for that. Yeah. Speaking of uh, brace ourselves, I'd like to get your take on some of the stuff that unfolded down in Texas over the last week. Yeah. That had a few people's attention. Well, sure. You know, finally, we're getting down to, as they say, you know, it's a kind of a vulgar term, but we're getting down to nutcracking time, aren't we? One of the most basic constitutional obligations that's very specifically spelled out in the actual Constitution, uh, as far as what the federal government's obligations include, is to secure the border. It's right there in black and white. It's not even an arguable point. And clearly, the federal government has not only abrogated that, it's actively hostile toward (laughs) controlling the border of the United States. So now you've got uh, people in Texas, the governor of Texas, who in desperation, because their country or their state is literally being invaded, the country is literally being invaded. I think the figure is something like 10,000 people a day are pouring over the border. If that's not an invasion, then I don't understand what the meaning of the word is. And they have said, look, if the federal government is not going to execute the basic responsibilities that it's charged with, with performing under the Constitution, then it devolves upon us. And we have the right under the Constitution to do it ourselves. And that has set up a very interesting confrontation. Yep. It's, uh, on the one hand, it's gratifying to see a little life breathe back into federalism. On the other hand, I'm a little bit gun shy after January 6th and all the, I, I yep. know you've probably heard talk about, oh, there's a big trucker's convoy that's headed that mm-hmm. way. I I would be very careful before taking any further steps just because we've seen the kind of traps that can be laid. Well, it's very interesting that you say that, and I, I do think that there is a possibility that they are, the, the feds, Biden, uh, is attempting to foment yet another so-called insurrection. But I think it might not fly this time because it's so self-evident what's going on. And, and if you look at polling, uh, overwhelmingly, I mean, I think to the tune of more than 70 percent across party lines, people are concerned about what's going on. Understandably, it's, it's not sustainable. It's not supportable. Everybody knows these aren't asylum seekers. It's preposterous. These are people who are just flooding over the border. And a lot of these people aren't even the usual people, you know, people who who come from Central and South America. Eyebrows are raising, understandably. Why are Chinese fighting-age men coming into the country? Why are we seeing people from the Middle East? How did they get to the southern border? How How is it that these people are all of a sudden there in numbers and coming across the border? No, it's a, it's a fair question. And, and, you know, people who are tempted to dismiss that, oh, that's just conspiracy theory, you, you know, America first types. But if, if you've seen the videos, and there are plenty of videos that show, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, there are no women, there are no children. And, and at least one of these guys uh, was apparently somebody on a terror watch list who was saying, you'll know who I am soon. Just watch. You'll, you'll know who I well, am. Sure. 
and there's an extreme, uh, uh, there's an aspect of this that is so offensive to, to ordinary Americans and that you and I have to present an ID to buy cough syrup at this point. You can't walk into a drugstore in this country and, you know, with a cold and look, I, I really need to get some, some cough syrup. They make you show an ID for that. Good luck trying to board a plane without an ID, right? But these people are somehow just allowed to flood into the country with zero ID and do whatever the heck they want. They're allowed to board airplanes and be, you know, be flown all over the place without an ID. And it, it really is like a, just a complete smack in the face to American citizens who are expected to obey the law. And I think it's really beginning to wear thin on people. Well, something that Governor Abbott said that uh, I think may have shaken a few people, at least at the Washington, D.C. level, was he he actually addressed the elephant in the room and said, the compact is broken, meaning the federal government is not honoring its part of the compact that the Constitution represents between the states and the federal government that it called into existence. Which, which raises yep. some interesting questions. Are the states still bound to, you know, bow and scrape every time the federal government snaps its fingers? Well, sure. And not only that, uh, it's actively hostile toward the interests of the states. And fundamentally, I think, it, it causes people to begin to question and ask themselves, well, what's, what's in it for us? Which is a reasonable question. What are we getting out of being involved in this union, if you will, uh, with the federal government, you know, they, they, we're, we're required to pay increasingly extortionate taxes. And what we get, what do we get in return for that? In addition to onerous uh, regulations coming out of the government, uh, we get this sort of chaos, this deliberately manufactured chaos. And uh, we're getting tired of paying for it, right? And maybe the time has come, and I don't think it's an unhealthy thing, to start to consider the question of separating ourselves from unhealthy things. Oh, that sounds dangerously close to the word secession, which really shouldn't be a cuss word. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, just like those horrible, horrible American colonists under George Washington separated themselves from the king and parliament of Great Britain. What an awful thing they did. Right. So awful we have to celebrate it every year, come 4th of (laughs) July. Wow. Yeah, it's an incongruity that, you know, I, I hope people begin to ponder that and think about that. You know, we're taught... As kids, at least we used to be taught, God knows what they're teaching them anymore, but that Washington was an honorable man and a man, and that the founders were honorable men who, in their exasperation after a lot of trying to reconcile with the government of Great Britain, found that they couldn't because the government of Great Britain didn't want to reconcile with them. And so they threw up their arms and said, we're, we're going to go our separate ways. And that's considered to be cause for a celebration every July. Beautifully somehow, said. somehow that seems to be the only time we're allowed to do that. Hold that thought. We'll be back with Eric Peters right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. My guest is Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, you've had a couple of fantastic articles. Uh, You always do, but I've had a couple that really grabbed my eye. One of them was uh, one of the costs of one size fits all. And uh, Mm -hmm. for for people who think you just you have an irrational hatred of EVs. I thought you you did a really good job here of showing it's not so much that uh, that you're against EVs as uh, us being shepherded into choices we don't really want to make. Well, yeah, I'm opposed to one size fits all, especially when it's a bayonet in your back that's forcing you to make that choice. Uh, so, you know, on the one hand, it's interesting in that you have the government essentially requiring electric vehicles only. 
they do that by the regulations that make it increasingly impossible for a car manufacturer to build anything that isn't an electric car. But on the other hand, these things are so expensive and so impractical for a lot of people. The average price for one is $50,000. You've got to wonder why is it that they don't let people have affordable and sensible EVs, which you can get in places like the People's Republic of China. You can pick up a little city car EV there for about 5000 bucks, but you can't have it here because the laws won't allow you to have it, which is, I think, fascinating. You have to, it's sort of like the laws that apply to mopeds. You know, you may be familiar with this. If a, if a moped uh, can't go on the highway, the moped can't go on the highway because it's not capable of going on the highway, so it's not allowed on the highway. Similar with these vehicles. You, you can't just build a car exclusively for city use because then people or, or might take it out on the highway, so we can't have that. So you have to have an EV that's, that's, that's capable of going out on the highway at 70 to 75 miles an hour for 100 miles or so, but then you have a $50,000 EV. So it's, it's endless, perverse uh just paradoxical Byzantine situation that ends up with one size fits all, which is what happens when you've got a central authority deciding for everybody what's going to work for everybody. Yeah, they just can't take in all the different nuances as well as priorities that every individual has. And yet that doesn't stop collectivists from trying that. uh, Yeah, we got this. We got this. You know, utopia is just one more signature away. Well, it's worse than that, I think, because they just don't care. You know, they have no they're tone deaf. They don't. They, they just don't give a damn that you and I uh, are different than they are. What they say goes. You know, they, they're like the every busybody person, control freak that you've ever known in your life that has to have things their way or the highway. That's it. There's no discussion. Uh, that's who they are. But they're worse than the busybody neighbor next door because they've got the power of the state behind them and they can make you do what they want you to do. Very true. Very true. Let's let's talk for a moment about. Uh, I I loved your article on uh, how times have changed. And by the way, this is not an endorsement for. We should all get back to smoking three packs a day. But you, you had <laughs> talked about how you know cars used to have not just one ashtray; they had multiple ashtrays. Yep. But you got to be a certain yep. age before you can you can even remember stuff like that. Well, and they also used to have dipsticks. You know, I like to take a drive down memory lane every once in a while, not because I'm a luddite, because because sometimes I think. The changes, uh, especially in the automotive sector, are not necessarily for the good. Uh, you know, I, I used to think it was a, a fine thing that you could check your oil by popping your hood and pulling out that dipstick and looking at the oil level. Apparently, that's no longer a good thing. A lot of car companies no longer include a dipstick with the car, which means you can't check the oil. <laughs> you go to the dealer to get your oil checked, or it's done electronically by some kind of sensor, uh, and you push a button on your touchscreen, which is great as long as it works. But when it doesn't, how are you going to check your oil? Well, you're going to go to the dealer. Dipstick is simple, effective. It works. It's cheap. You don't need anybody, any external help to do it. And that's why I think even though it's an ancient idea, it's a really good idea and a better idea than making something like that needlessly complex and overexpensive. Boy, this this really seems to drive home that uh, notion that we're, we're being – engineered into dependency. You know, they, they don't yeah. want us to be self-reliant. No, they don't. And they want everything to be under the control of somebody or something else. Anybody but us, it seems like. And there's no benefit to it that I can see. Is it really that hard? Is it that challenging to raise the hood and pull out a dipstick and check your oil? It's not like you have to go to technical school to do that. It's not like you have to put on your overalls and crawl underneath the car. It's a very simple, easy-to-do thing. 
And it, it bothers me that people are, are so insouciant about giving up something like that, that everybody ought to know how to do and be able to do who's able to drive a car. Wow. And, and you touched on spare tires, too. And that that one yep. hits home for me because, man, when you have to change a tire, it's bad enough. But when you have to pull out the little donut and I mean, it's it's not even it's 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 like, OK, well, now I get to limp home, you know, at, at the stately speed of under 50 miles per hour. Well, I'd be grateful that you can even do that and thank the government for it. Uh, the donut is going away, and the reason it's going away has to do with the government. And the reason why is that even that little donut weighs something, doesn't it? Oh, so yeah. adding weight to the car makes the car use more gas. And even if it's an infinitesimally small amount of gas, something that you would never notice by carrying around that extra 20 or 25 pounds, if you factor that over several hundred thousand vehicles that might be produced in a year, it matters in terms of regulatory compliance costs. And so that's why they get rid of it. And instead, what you get now in, in lieu of the space saver is an inflator kit. And the problem with the inflator kit is it works fine if you've got a puncture in the tread. But if your sidewall is torn, and that happens pretty commonly, particularly with these uh, uh, short sidewall tires that are now common, you lose. You're not going to be able to inflate it because there's a hole in the sidewall and all the air is going to go right out the sidewall. So now you get to call the tow truck. This uh, a friend of mine actually was doing some traveling here last month, ran into a couple that I, I think it was a rental car that they had. But same problem they they had an inflator, but they had driven on the flat long enough. The sidewall was compromised. And yep. yeah, they, they ended up, you know, they had to call a tow truck, had to get a hotel, the whole nine yards. I mean, he was kind enough to stop and try to help them change their tire. But that was his first comment was, what the heck? Nothing but a crappy sure. inflator that doesn't even work. Sure. And, and again, what is the upside from the point of view of the person who owns that vehicle? You know, it's bad enough. It's annoying enough to have a flat tire. You know, you didn't anticipate having to stop. You Maybe you're in your business clothes and you don't want to have to deal with getting dirty. But at least when you had a spare tire, you could put the spare tire on the car and you could drive. You know, and if you were out in the middle of nowhere and you maybe had to drive 50 miles, 100 miles, you had no problem doing it because it was a real tire on a real, real, real wheel. Now you got an inflator kit and you got nothing. And, you know, good luck if you've ever had to call roadside service. You know, it might be two hours or more before the roadside service truck shows up. And I got to tell you, one other thing you pointed out in that article that hit home was the headlights. What What is it that, that makes our headlights go so dim over such a short period of time? Well, they're made out of plastic. You know, it used to be they were you and I, us geezers, can remember when uh, automotive headlights were made of glass. And the glass never yellowed because glass does not yellow. And it also doesn't crack unless you hit it with something with enough force to cause it to crack. But we don't have those anymore. Now we've got plastic headlights, which are cheap but not inexpensive, which is hilarious. You know, back in the day, if you broke a sealed beam headlight, it cost you 20 bucks, 25 bucks for a new one. Now you break these cheap made-in-China plastic headlight assemblies, and the cheap ones are 100 bucks, And some of them cost several hundred dollars. And some of them you can't change on your own because they're intertwined with the computer, if you can believe it. And therefore, you have to have the dealer change the headlight for you. Wow. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I would ride a bike before I submit. <laughs> to, to, yeah, uh, and you know, now, the, granted, granted, the, you know, the, the light that they produce is, is incandescently, incandescently blinding in some cases. But, of course, then there's the problem of blinding oncoming traffic. But if you can see, if your eyes are pretty good, uh, seal beam headlights more than do the job. We got by with those for decades and decades without uh, any great catastrophe happening. So while I'm not opposed necessarily to higher output lighting systems, I am opposed to 
uh, multiplying the cost of something and multiplying the complexity of something to the to the extent and degree that has been done. And and just to drive it home, little of these changes are the product of uh, you know the consumer saying, "Hey, this is what we want." It's more a product of government saying, "You have to meet this standard. Good luck." Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's myriad. There's so many things now. The, the uh, cars are effectively designed by the government now. You know, the engineers and designers have to pencil in the lines, and the lines are are put there by these government bureaucrats, and we get to pay for all of that. All right, Eric, great as always to visit with you. I always feel like I'm a little more grounded in reality after our conversations. Thanks for your time, man. Oh, likewise. I appreciate the forum. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I am so happy to introduce you to my next guest. I have followed his work now for some time, and I think uh, Casey Whalen is possibly one of the best examples of citizen grassroots journalism that I've seen. He's making big, big things happen in uh, my home state of Idaho. Casey, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, Brian. I appreciate it. Now, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just, you know, blowing sunshine here. Telling the truth is not exactly an easy thing to do. In other words, uh, people rarely will stop you. Hey, thank you so much for shining light on, you know, whatever, you know, this group or that group or these government officials may have been up to. You catch your share of flack, but uh, my goodness, you are effective. Tell me a little bit. In fact, tell us a little bit about how did you get your start? And then let's talk about a couple of really pressing issues that you've, uh, you've got your teeth into. Sure, absolutely. I, I started out as a, what you call a First Amendment auditor, and I would uh, take full-size constitutions I received from the Idaho Secretary of State's office. I received 120 of those full-size uh, state and and, uh, const- and uh, federal constitutions, I guess not federal is not the right term, but the constitutions uh, and state constitutions into the sheriff's department and police departments just trying to, as a litmus test, make sure they understand uh, our rights, essentially. And I would film as I did that. Uh, and long story short, I made a bunch of videos uh, documenting police and just trying to show uh, that, you know, our rights aren't exactly, exactly being uh, upheld in a lot of places. And that led to essentially through, a, I started doing public records requests and finding out that I was being disseminated through the fusion centers, essentially, for doing, engaging in these constitutional activities. And so uh, I just started connecting dots and finding out that there is a major orchestrated, uh, you know, something there's a there's a there's a move going on nationally to work with uh, law enforcement agencies are working with essentially human rights organizations on a community level. And essentially those uh, human rights uh, groups are reporting uh, people for engaging in constitutional activities, First Amendment, Second Amendment activities, and these things are being reported to the FBI and DOJ as quote-unquote hate incidences, which can later be referred to or committed, uh, converted to hate crimes. So we're in a very dangerous uh, pre- predicament in our country right now. And so I'm just trying to show uh, who's these, who these players are and what they're doing behind the scenes. And it, yes, it has been very difficult at times 
uh, when you speak the truth, you, you, you do put yourself out there. But essentially, I use myself as a guinea pig, basically, across the board to to uncover what's really going on behind the scenes. And it's it's been, been a lot of fun, but it's been very uh, stressful and challenging at times also. And, and if anybody is feeling skeptical, well, that sounds like, you know, another conspiracy theory, I would just say, Look at the weaponization of government agencies and, and laws and policies just against the January 6th people. But now imagine that you have people, the same kind of people, feeding that level of misinformation to your local police department. And, and let's, let's talk specifically about some, some examples of what this looks like. Take us back, if you will, to the summer of 2020. Not exactly a peaceful summer, as I recall. Uh, Black Lives Matters and Antifa were more or less uh, burning down, you know, city after city uh, across the country. Talk to me about what was happening in North Idaho. So we had uh, uh, groups in North Idaho, Coeur d'Alene and Bonner County that that showed up, like Sandpoint, Idaho even, that showed up downtown uh, the first week of June in 2020 after there were rumors of BLM Antifa riots possibly happening in our cities People organically showed up downtown area. They had boarded up a lot of the shops. Uh, some, some I remember specifically some jewelers had hired some some people to just keep an eye on the place. Everybody were was open carrying. I would say over the handful of maybe I want to say five days, uh, the first week of June. Uh, you know, we had thousands of people downtown Coeur d'Alene that were open carrying, uh, which has been explicitly documented, but. Uh, what happened after that, which that was very successful, BLM came in and they were allowed to use a bullhorn and, and march through the city, which is, of course, against a city or noise ordinance. You're not supposed to do that, but they were allowed to do that anyway. Um, but suffice to say that after that happened and everything was successful, people were very polite and courteous throughout the entire endeavor. We had an organization called ICAP, and this is uh, an acronym for the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection out of Georgetown law uh, and, and whose director is now Mary McCord. And Mary had sent a letter to the city of Coeur d'Alene and Bonner County asking uh, the municipalities uh, if they could uh, basically provide a pro bono consultation on how to basically to, to litigate people that were downtown Coeur d'Alene and Sandpoint areas open caring. So they were explicitly trying to target those people um, for, for acting in a quote unquote paramilitary fashion. Wow. And a lot of these groups are not, had no associations with militias at all or any organization. They just organically showed up downtown and there were some instances of militias downtown, you know, but uh, a lot of it was just organic and we've tried to recreate it over the years, but you cannot recreate gun, which became later known as gun Delane. So, uh, <laughs> Go ahead. No, that's, uh, I, I was aware of it. I saw the video footage and thought, man, you know, these people take it seriously. They they are protecting their community and, and the community stayed safe during that time period. I did not realize though, Casey, that there was this fallout and, and people actively looking for ways legally to come after them. So talk to me about uh, some of the pieces of uh, legislation, both at the national and, and presumably even at the state level, are, are kind of starting to surface now with that same intent. We better uh, make this illegal for armed people to come together organically or not, you know, in, in, their, in the common defense. Yeah, and Georgetown Law got its start, or Josh, Georgetown Law, ICAP got its start, the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy, advocacy and protection got its start after Charlottesville in 2017, where they started filing a bunch of amicus briefs and they did have some success in those, in those, uh, in that litigation. But if you go to uh, ICAP's website and you look up our work, you can look at all the different briefs that have been filed and then you can do a search for your state and see what's been filed in your state 
to see what they're doing in your state. And we'll get to that here in a second with Idaho. But basically, uh, just to give you a little background uh, about the director of ICAP, Mary McCord was the acting assistant attorney general for national security at the U.S. Department of Justice from 2016 to 2017. Uh, she was also an assistant U.S. attorney for nearly 20 years during the Obama administration. And she was also appointed by Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, to for legal counsel on the U.S. Uh, House Representatives Task Force uh, for J6 uh, Capital Security Review. So that's kind of to give you a little background on Mary McCord. She has a lot of experience in that realm. Um, and then basically ICAP, I uh, have a little summation here of ICAP, just to give people a little bit of background. They use novel litigation tools, strategic policy development, and other uh, tactics to work on legal issues pertaining to individual rights and what ICAP identifies as democratic processes. Processes. So they basically sent these letters here. I have two of these letters. One is to the uh, city of Coeur d'Alene, and another one is to the Bonner, Bonner County, essentially, asking them to uh, you know go after some of these people that were open carrying. And they cite here uh, basically that uh, the military shall be subordinate subordinate to civil power under Idaho Constitution Article One, Section Twelve, and they also go on to to uh, cite Idaho Code Forty Six Eight Hundred Two, and that uh, basically mandates that the governor is you know is the one who's supposed to call uh, the military or the military the militia into in into uh, call out the militia essentially so. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And I have here 46802 is what I was looking for here. Uh, it states basically that no body of men other than the regularly organized National Guard, the unorganized militia when called into service of the state or of the United States and except such as are regularly recognized and provided for by the laws of the state of Idaho and of the United States shall associate themselves as a military company or organization or parade in public with firearms in any city or town of this state. And so to just give you a little background on that Idaho code 46802, because that's very important. ICAP is essentially trying to, uh, they put forward a draft legislation uh, to combat preventing uh, private paramilitary organizations from operating in the state of Idaho and actually the nation itself. So is it is it already then on the books that uh, that you are not allowed to parade in a military fashion or paramilitary fashion? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm, un, I'm not well, sure I understood it. Well, forty six eight hundred two basically basically is is trying to do that, and no one in the state gotcha. of Idaho, from what I understand, has ever been charged with uh, the, for acting quote unquote paramilitary. So essentially, ICAP is trying to take advantage of this. They're trying to change the language of Idaho Code forty six eight hundred two with their own draft language, essentially, where no more than three people can assemble. Uh, and I have it right here. The term, this is from their language, from the draft legislation. The term private paramilitary organization means any group of three or more persons associating under a command structure for the purpose of functioning in public or training to function in public as a combat, combat support, law enforcement, or security services unit. So it's really a way to go about, you know, um, they'll say it's what they're trying to do is constitutional, but I think it's a way essentially to stifle uh, the open carrying aspect of our state and um, the right to assemble. Hold that thought. We're going to come back and continue our conversation with Casey Whalen in just a few moments. Kind of makes you wonder, how would they use such a law? We'll find out right after our break. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. My guest is Casey Whalen. He is, uh, Casey, how would I describe you? Citizen journalist doesn't seem to cover it. I mean, I want people to understand there's a cape that's flapping uh, behind you as you <laughs> are going about about your work. I don't know. I like investigative journalist, activist. He's I, I a truth know. teller and, and a good one. One, one, of the, one of the people I'm very glad to have shining the light um, up there in North Idaho. And we, we were talking about this, uh, this law that would outlaw you know, paramilitary behavior. Um, talk to me a little bit about the groups that, that promote these kinds of things. You had mentioned that there, there, were, there were other groups that were working with the FBI and sometimes local law enforcement. And I don't know if you mentioned by name, the Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC, would, would be one of them, correct? Yes. And, there's, and there's, I know there's another one in Northern Idaho, very active, and I can't remember, it's human rights, uh, something to do with, with human rights. They're active in the Northwest. But the bottom line is, these groups purpo- purport to be watchdogs. They, you know, they're there to warn us about extremists and hate groups. Talk to me a little bit about to how they do what they do. Well, I guess, um, I mean, all these groups are basically working together behind the scenes. ICAP of Georgetown Law, uh, the IREHR, which is another one, the Institute for Research, Education, and Human Rights. I don't want to confuse people, but you have the SPLC, ADL, the Montana Human Rights Network, all behind the scenes, they're all working together. And ICAP is essentially like the law, they're like the law arm. They're the ones who are, they're, they're trying to, to litigate for these other organizations. Um, and essentially... Um, one of the major components of this is, is the Department of Justice and the FBI, and they've created a campaign which was launched uh, in June of, well, it was talked about in June of 2021 during the uh, national security, uh, the White House held a national security strategy for countering domestic terrorism. And in this, it basically outlines that there needs to be essentially uh, a, a campaign which they called United Against Hate, and this was launched in September of 2021 at the White House by Attorney General Merrick Garland. And the United Against Hate campaign was to enact all 94 U.S. district attorneys offices across the nation and uh, edu- work with local community groups. They they call this the S- SLTT, which is state, local tribal and territorial, basically all encompassing, working with local community groups, essentially, to combat hate. And so one of the main things that if you ever go to one of these events, which are have happened uh, all over the state of Idaho throughout the last year plus, uh, they highlight that they are they want people to report, they, they'll say that hate is not illegal. Then on the other side of their mouths, the DOJ and FBI will say, but make sure that you report hate incidences and then hate incidences are anything that's against race, religion, gender, et cetera, that could later be, they'll, they'll, they'll document these hate incidences as they were being reported, for instance, by some of these human rights networks, which have reporting forums on their websites, mind you. And that was all, this has all come online lately because of this United Against Hate campaign. Uh, another one is just a No Hate Act that has to do with Heather Heyer and another another gentleman, which created funding for these hotlines and these these uh, websites to report hate. So these hate incidences are then later can retroactively be re- 
you know, char- people can be charged later on for, for hate crimes if they are found guilty of, of inciting something like that. So it sounds to so, me like they're, they're manufacturing crimes or at least, um, and when, when we, when we were doing that based upon hate, that's a scary thing because that's, that's a very unspecified term. I mean, we know it's bad, but what exactly does it mean? What constitutes it? How come the, you know, a person who is accused of hate while doing this crime has a more severe sentence because of what they're thinking? I mean, we're, we're venturing into, you know, thought crime. It's very dangerous, right? And even what's really interesting, if people want to get more information on this, I've recorded two of these events. The first one that the U.S. District Attorney's Office said I could not record it because it was in a casino, yet when you go to the event and you're at the event, the Coeur d'Alene Press is there. You have other media outlets that are actually proactively documenting the event. That the second one, I, 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 I brought in a commercial camera and filmed it, and they, they didn't let me mic the podium. The DOJ wouldn't let me do that. So they're being very they're, – they're, when you watch them actually present this information, they look like they're, they're, they're children about ready to be scolded because, you know, there's a bunch of people in attendance. They're, they're essentially dividing the community because they're siding with a segment of the populace that is – LGBTQ friendly in many respects. And there's a segment that are, that are not very comfortable with that. And so you have law enforcement, you know, decidedly choosing these human rights groups to report the opposition for, you know, for instance, one of the things I found through a public record request, which really exposed a lot of this was that the Idaho state police uh, has uh, an officer named Michelle beach. Michelle beach is, is gay. But the fact is that she reported a Catholic rosary walk to the, uh, I believe it was the, the, the Coeur d'Alene Police Department. And then you had another individual who, who's uh, directing the Human Rights Education Institute in Coeur d'Alene. She also reported this Catholic rosary walk uh, last wow. year during the, well, in 2022 during the Pride of the Park event when Patriot Front was arrested. At an adjacent park, there was supposed to be a Catholic rosary walk. And the organizers of the Pride in the Park event asked the FBI and other entities to report them and they did. So that's where we are. And I don't think a lot of people understand. That's what I'm trying to expose that this is happening in your community. This is happening nationally right now. You may be being reported by some of these human rights groups or maybe even your family members may be. And, and to me, what, what I'm hearing is this is putting the, the power of the state, the violence of the state behind certain woke agendas. Not that there would ever be any disagreement with those woke agendas, you know, like, you know, parents uh, disgusted on what they're seeing in public libraries and, you know, kids' school libraries and so forth. That's re- that's really alarming, Casey. So what's being done from the legislative level? I, I know there have to be legislators that are aware of this. Is, is there is there anything being done to address this uh, select feeding and agitation of law enforcement towards, you know, unwoke sections of the of the populace? No, I don't believe that there is actually, I don't, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm actually trying to get to that point where to wake up some of these legislators and let them know, for instance, I tried to contact the district one commander of the Idaho state police and ask him if I asked him through email, does, do you think it's appropriate for your officer, Michelle beach to be reporting a Catholic rosary walk to the FBI? And he tried to turn it around on me and ask me if I was an activist or a journalist. And I, I said, well, I could ask you the same question because this, this, this district one commander helped create a human rights consortium steering committee where his officer, Mil- Michelle Beach, is part of this. And he is as well because he helped. So he, they're all wrapped up in this. This gentleman is a former, uh, he was trained by the FBI. 
Um, I didn't, I never received a response to my question. So that was, that did not turn out very well. I tried to contact the, uh, the commander of the Idaho state police. I sent him a, a like email, no reply. So we have to somehow get our legislators involved and somehow turn this off, cut this off. The problem is that the, I guess who runs the fusion center in Idaho? Please tell me. <laughs> the Idaho state police. Of course, of course. It's in Meridian. It's called the IC2 or the ICIC, which is the Idaho Criminal Intelligence Center. And uh, in Washington, the Washington State Police run the Washington State Patrol or uh, Fusion Center. In Oregon, it's the Oregon Department of Justice. So you have the very people that are telling people to report hate instances are controlling the fusion centers. That sounds like some really perverse incentives just waiting to happen. Scary yeah, I mean, stuff. we have we have an we even I have an email from a, a local uh, record request I won't go into, but uh, one of the employees from the Department of Health and Welfare in an email chain is informing other members of the of the health of health and welfare about the IC two the fusion centers and that they wanted to uh, ask the fusion centers um, during the Pride uh, in the parky or not the Pride in the park event the Pride event in Boise I think it was 2022 asked asked. Uh, basically ask the fusion centers to keep an eye on, on all of that. So they're very wrapped. It's all in one, all these groups are, are, are entangled. So when you, when, when you try to, you know, ask the Idaho state police, can you do the right thing? You know, it's, it, we have to have our legislators step up here. We are down to our last minute here. Uh, again, I'm talking with Casey Whalen. Casey, this is a chance for you to let, let our listeners know where can they follow you? And uh, I'll, I'll be sure to include links to your Substack. Uh, in in the show notes, but where where would you recommend they go to follow you? Um, I've been taking a break a little bit recently. A lot of the stuff is negative, and so I needed a break. Uh, but I'll be back here. I've been I've been still cover, monitoring things. Uh, but people can follow me on Twitter at Casey underscore Whalen. That's W H A L E N. I'm on Substack CaseyWhalen.substack.com. and my video platform on Rumble is North Idaho Exposed, and you can go see some of those. Uh, two of those United Against Hate events and, and see these FBI and DOJ agents uh, kind of cower as they're trying to, you know, in, ask people to report hate incidences. I really trust Casey's work. And so I recommend it to you, my listeners. If you want to, if you want to find out what's going on, this is a guy who does his homework. Casey, thank you so much for being my guest today. We got to do this again. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.